wanna ask you if you take God's word with you, whether you're watching right now on the live stream, the CLC here in the worship center, and open it with me. Take God's word to Daniel chapter six for our time together here this morning. We've been going through a sermon series over the last really few months called Fearless Faith, where we've been reminded that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We're so thankful for that. And, and today, as we gather here together, I realize some of you have been here every single week of this sermon series. Some of you have been watching online every single week, and some of you would be honest and say, you know what, I, I heard this one, I didn't hear this one, I whatever. He and our time together today, we're gonna see an overview of the book of Daniel from Daniel chapter one to Daniel chapter six. And what we're doing is this. We're kind of getting the 50,000 foot view, the big view of what God is doing in the book of Daniel and why he's doing it. And I believe that truth will give us encouragement and help as we live in our lives today. When I think about stepping away from, so to speak, the forest and the details and the trees and getting the 50,000 foot view, my mind goes back to many years ago when I was in college at Liberty University. I was blessed for a few years to be a part of a ministry team. And, and part of my responsibility in that team was uh, I was the leader and that meant I also had to drive. I happened to be the only person on our team that was on the Liberty Insurance at that time. And so back in the day, I know it's hard to believe young people, but there was no such thing, at least that I didn't have, of a smartphone. And there wasn't um, Google Maps or, you know, at your quick disposal. And so the way we got directions of places was you had to go online would dial up internet to mapquest.com and print out your directions. Now, if you ever did that back in the day, you know that the fine print said that the directions were accurate within about a half a mile of discrepancy. The problem with that is, is that a half a mile of discrepancy can really get you lost really quick. And I'll never forget one specific trip. We were going towards Burlington, North Carolina, and we were passing uh, kind of an area that was, it was largely a rural area. There were lots of fields and farms and things like that. But for whatever reason, they were doing tons of road work. And I'll never forget kind of watching the time and realizing we're kind of running behind time already. We've got to get there. And, and within about 30 to 45 minutes of driving through this rural area with all this road work, I quickly realized we're lost. We do not know where we're at. If you've ever been in that place where you're lost, you realize everything starts to look the same. Like even, even outside of Burlington, North Carolina, like every tobacco field looked the same. Every farmhouse looked the same. Every oak tree looked the same. Every, everything, and I was completely lost. And so finally, I remember stopping, pulling into a gas station, and I went inside, I called the pastor of the local church and I told him where we were at, but the problem is, is that everything looked the same to me. So he had no idea where we were at either like the blind leading the blind. And finally, I went outside, a guy pulls up to pump gas, he had a pickup truck, and he honestly, he just kinda looked like he lived in the area. And so I went to him and I said, sir, I'm not from around here. And he looked at me like, no kidding, you know, right? I totally didn't look the part. And I told him, I, I'm lost. And he said, well, where are you trying to get to? And I told him the name of the church, and he said, I haven't heard of it. And he said, who's the pastor? And I told him the name of the pastor. And for whatever reason, he knew that where the church was based upon the pastor's name. I'll never forget him pulling and reaching behind the cab of his truck. And he pulled out a map, a local map, and he put it across the, the, uh, you know, the, the top of his truck, basically. And he laid it out there on the hood. And when he did, I could see all these X's and marks. And every single one of those X's and marks represented a detour from the road work. And here's what he did. I'll never forget him taking that big old finger of his and him saying, Here's where you're at, and here's where you gotta go. And he kind of mapped it out for me, and sure enough, within the next 15, 20 minutes, I was able to get past all those roadworks and detours and get to where I needed to be. In God's word together today, we're not gonna look at all the nuances of every single chapter the way that we have over the past really seven or eight weeks. We're gonna take a 50,000 foot view, and in the process of that, we're gonna recognize what was God doing in the book of Daniel and why was he doing it? And how does that impact my life today? As we open God's word today in Daniel chapter six, I wanna preach to you this morning on the subject, standing up in a fallen world. Standing up in a fallen world. I don't think it takes a believer long to realize in this world today, we are living in a fallen, broken world. Everywhere we turn, it seems like at every page of those turns, we recognize another reminder that this world is not our home. We're just passing through it, heading towards our heavenly home. This world is filled with sin and chaos and confusion. It's filled with all sorts of challenges and burdens and brokenness. But the Bible tells us, even in this world, 
When we stand upon the truth of God's word, when we love and serve and worship the living God of heaven, we can stand firm in the midst of a fallen world. So how do we do that? And I believe what God shows us in the book of Daniel is simply this. It's not about our good works. It's not about our religious activities. It's not even about where you're sitting on Sunday morning. It's all about who we are living for and what our purpose in life really is. I believe in the book of Daniel, God tells us loud and clear something about who he is and what he's doing. And frankly, who he is and what he's doing should make all the difference in our lives and in our world today. You know, as we've gone through the book of Daniel and all these different chapters and all these different moments, frankly, it's easy to get caught, so to speak, in the forest of the book. When you're reading through all the chapters and you're reading through the political chaos and you're reading through the pressures that they experience and you're reading through the circumstances and you're reading through the threats and you're reading through the adversity, it's easy for us to get so connected in that that we lose sight of the bigger picture. Because the book of Daniel, believe it or not, is not really a book all about Daniel. The book's not really all about what God was doing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The book is not even a political book about kings and kingdoms, although in Daniel's lifetime, we know he outlived at least four or five kings and different kingdoms. The book of Daniel is all about one primary thing. It is all about the living God of heaven who is in complete control, working in every situation to accomplish his divine purposes in the world. And I wanna remind us this morning, the same God that was working in Daniel's day and in and through his life is still God today. And he's still working and he's still moving even still today. So I wanna ask you if you're physically able to do so, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Daniel chapter six, verses 25 through 28. And if you were watching or you were here last week, uh, you know that we read these verses last week and we moved on quickly. But we're gonna park here a little bit longer in these climactic verses of Daniel chapter six. The Bible says this. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, the nations and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. For I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he's the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much this morning for our time together. I thank you for the freedom that we have. I thank you even now here in this worship center to see so many back for the first time. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness and your provisions in our life throughout this, this whole season of life. And God, we come today not to play church, but we've come to meet with you. We've come to worship you. We've come to hear from you. And so God, I'm humbled to be a vessel and I pray God that I would be just that, only a vessel so that you would speak and so that you would draw us to yourself, that you would convict us where it's needed and ultimately that you would get the glory in and through our lives. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. Standing up in a fallen world. If we're gonna stand up in a fallen world, I believe God is telling us loud and clear that we've got to get our attention on him. There is so much noise in the world right now. There is so much sensitivity, so much division, so much brokenness that frankly, it's easy for us to get distracted and it's easy for us to end up in a ditch. And what God is saying is this. He's saying, listen, I want you to lift your eyes up. I want you to focus on me. And as we begin to focus on him, God begins to give us crystal clear focus on what he's calling us to do in this moment today. So three things I want us to see from Daniel that I think will encourage us and help us today if we're gonna stand up in a fallen world. How do we do that? Number one, we've got to remember the purpose of God. We must remember the purpose of God. I don't know about you, but when you're reading through the book of Daniel, one of the sub things that stands out loud and clear is the fact that we all face circumstances and trials in life. 
And sometimes when we face those trials, it can seem to us at times that they are so overwhelming that we can look at situations and it would seem to us sometimes that the wicked are prospering while the righteous are suffering. And we can look at that and we can say, God, why is this? God, why is it that bad things are happening to good people? One of the most common questions that people ask, they, they wrestle with that, they struggle. How do good things happen to, to bad, how do bad things happen to good people? And I believe what God is ultimately showing us is this. God is working and moving in ways that we can't always see, but he's always working to accomplish his purpose. Well, what is that? Well, think about it in the context of the book of Daniel, for example. All throughout the book of Daniel, we see circumstance and trial after trial, and we almost wanna look at it and say, God, why are you allowing this? Why is this really happening? Daniel chapter one, the Bible tells us that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken to a pagan land with pagan laws and pagan leaders. They're being forced to do things that frankly, that they didn't want to do. And, and so the king comes and says, listen, you, can, you gotta eat this meat and you gotta drink this wine. And the king is giving them every temptation to compromise. And you understand, like if they don't go with the king's order, it's gonna bring consequence upon them. And yet you can look at that and say, God, why are you allowing this temptation to happen in their life? Why are you allowing this pressure to come upon them? Daniel chapter two, the king has a dream. He needs an interpretation. And so he issues a decree. If you don't tell me the dream that I had, that's crazy. And if you don't give me the interpretation, I'm gonna kill you. You're gonna be wiped out. And we can look at that and we'd say, God, why are you allowing this? Why are you allowing these righteous guys to, to experience these incredible threats and persecutions against them? Daniel chapter three. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king declares, if you don't bow to my idol when all the orchestra begins to play, if you don't bow and worship my idol, then you're gonna be thrown into the fiery furnace. And sure enough, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And we can look at that and say, God, why are you allowing this? These guys have been faithful to you and you're allowing them to be thrown into the furnace? Daniel chapter four and Daniel chapter five, God gives Daniel an incredibly heavy message. And frankly, there were messages that were completely against the kings in both of those situations. And, and friends understand, that was not a favorable thing. It was not an easy thing to do. And we can look and say, God, why are you putting such a burden upon Daniel? Daniel chapter six, if you pray to any other God, you're gonna be thrown to the lion's den. What does Daniel do? He starts praying to his God like he always did. He's literally thrown into the lion's den. And we can look and say, God, what in the world? I just don't understand why righteous people suffer. I just don't understand why bad things happen to good people. But what I believe God is trying to show us in this is loud and clear. God has a purpose in all that he's doing. And ultimately, his purpose is to make us more like himself so that he might point a clear picture of who he is to the world around us. Think of this for just a moment. Verse 25 comes to a climactic moment. It's on the heels of that lion's den experience as Daniel has been faithful to God. It was then in that moment that something interesting happens in verse 25. It was through that circumstance and God's power and healing and God's deliverance that Darius the king says this. The Bible says he wrote to all the peoples, verse 25, all the nations, men of every language who were living in all the land. This is the entire ancient world. What does he declare? I declare that the God of Daniel is the living God enduring forever and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. In other words, it wasn't until this precise moment in history that the revelation of who God was went to the entire ancient world. In other words, what is God's purpose? God's purpose is loud and clear. His purpose is now what it was then, and that is to reveal who he is to the world that others might be drawn to him. Did you know all the way from the very beginning when God established a covenant with the Jewish people, his plan and purpose was that through, him, through them, he would make it known that he alone is the savior of the world. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. God never intended for the truth of who he is to stay in Israel but to, and only to be enjoyed by the Jews, but literally go throughout all the world. Listen to what it says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Listen to this. Tell of his glory among the what? 
the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Psalm 96 verse 10 says it this way. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. In other words, God's purpose in the whole grand scheme was ultimately to bring through Daniel and through his faithfulness and through his trust and through his obedience to bring into a place where literally the truth of who God is would be declared through all the world. In fact, you could argue today that if Daniel had not been taken to Babylon, if Daniel and his friends had not stood faithful, if Babylon had not conquered all the ancient world at that time, if God had not allowed to it that Darius would come to reign in that moment, you could argue today that if it hadn't been for this entire sequence of events, that this truth of who God is would not have been declared in this moment. But today that truth was declared because God had been working all along to accomplish his plans and his purpose. His purpose was ultimately so that the truth of him would be taken throughout the world so that people would believe in him. God's purpose was the same then as it is now, and that is this, to take the truth to the ends of the world. Can I say to us here today in 2021, pandemic or not, Political upheaval or chaos or not, dangers or not, God's calling upon us as believers and God's purpose for us as believers is still today to take the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus's final commandment and great commission before he left was literally in Acts chapter one, verse eight, when he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why Paul and Barnabas, when they were coming to that place of conviction of what God was calling them to do, listen to what they declared in Acts chapter 13. They said this, for so the Lord has commanded us. Listen to what God commanded. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation, where? To the end of the earth. The gospel message was never intended to be merely for the Jews, merely intended to be for those that were already somewhat aware. It was literally intended for all the world. God's plan and purpose, even still today, is so that you and I would take the good news of the gospel to all the world. So pastor, how does that relate to the book of Daniel? Here's how it relates. This would teach us that every circumstance and every trial and every unknown situation was ultimately for the purpose of drawing Daniel and his friends closer to God so that through them, he might reveal who he is to the world. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning when you go through circumstances and you go through trials and things that are unknowns, you need to first and foremost remember the purpose of God and look to him because God is wanting to do in you and through you and ultimately for his own glory things that you could never imagine. So just be faithful and just surrender. I will never forget many years ago, I was a teenager and I remember and I found myself in recent days because of the the loss that people have experienced when loved ones have passed. I have found myself sharing this story uh, more so in recent days than I ever have before. But I remember being a teenager years ago and I remember there were several godly men, older men in my life that I loved deeply and looked up to. And I'll never forget one of the most godly men that I've ever known was my grandfather. I simply called him Granddaddy Willis. The other of those men was a man that was my great uncle. His name was Major Kirkland. We called him Uncle Major. He and his wife were unable to have children. And because they were unable to have children, they basically kind of, even though I was his great nephew, they kind of adopted us as their own. And they would come spend time with us. And I remember they were the first people that ever gave me the, my favorite big bird toy when I was a little kid, you know. He gave me a little ink gun that you could squirt. And you'd, when was the first time in your life you remember experiencing overwhelming pain and circumstances? I would tell you, it's when I was a teenager and it was when, I believe it was a Saturday afternoon, my uncle major died of cancer suddenly and I didn't get to tell him goodbye. And I remember driving two hours to Dothan, Alabama, sitting in my grandfather's swing while across town, family was gathered to grieve my uncle and I remember having that funeral, I remember going home. 
I remember Friday night babysitting my younger siblings while my parents were out on a date and getting the phone call from my uncle asking if my mom was home. And I'll never forget him asking, well, as soon as she gets home, have her call me. And sure enough, I did. And in my bed, I could, I could lay in my bed and my bed was the front first bed on that hallway. And I could look through the, I could look through the doorway. My mom's never heard this before. I could look through the doorway and I could see her at the desk in the kitchen calling her brother. And I can still see her face when she heard the news that her father had died suddenly of a heart attack. So, so in seven days, I remember being a teenager and I remember two of the men that I most loved and adored and looked up to instantly were gone. And I was angry. I was, I was so angry and I was so bitter with God and I wanted nothing to do with God in that moment. Can I also say to you that it would be that same exact year that God would so work in my life to reveal himself that he would call me to preach and I've never thought about anything else since then. So pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying when you go through circumstances and trials, you might not understand it. You might get bent out of shape. You may get even angry with God, but I'm telling you, if you will look to God, if you will trust him and let God work and move in your life, he's still accomplishing his purposes and his purposes ultimately are to make you like Jesus so that he can show the world who Jesus is. Secondly, I want you to see that we've got to not only remember the purposes of God, we've got to recognize the providence of God. We've got to recognize the providence of God. To speak of the providence of God is to say that God has power over everything and that he governs with wisdom, love, and care. It's to say that God has power over everything and he governs with wisdom, love, and care. In his providence, he is continually working through things to accomplish his will in all things. In fact, Daniel's already told us this. In Daniel chapter four, he looks at the king and he testifies and he says this, the most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind and he bestows it on whomever he wishes. Now again, it wasn't until after God delivers him from the lion's den that Darius declares, hey, let me tell you about this God of Daniel. He's the living God, verse 26. He's enduring forever. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues, performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And by the way, he delivered Daniel from the lion's den. Please understand what Darius is saying is, the God of Daniel is over it all and he's working in it all to accomplish his will and his purposes. Many people like to talk about history, but I wanna remind you that all of history is his story of how he is working and moving to accomplish his plans in the world. The living God of heaven can set the dates and the times. The living God of heaven controls the seasons. The living God of heaven can bring a king to the throne and he can remove a king. The living God of heaven can expand a kingdom and he can destroy a kingdom. The living God of heaven is the one who is in control. Daniel goes on to say in Daniel chapter four that it doesn't matter what the king even does, whether he hardens his heart or even humbles his heart, it is God's plans that will always stand and his will that will be fulfilled. Why? Because God is sovereignly working all things together ultimately to accomplish his purposes for his glory. Does that mean that every situation in life is good? No. Does that mean that every situation in life is the direct will of God? No. Does that mean that bad actions don't have bad consequences? No. Does that mean that elections don't have consequences? No. Does that mean that bad leaders don't lead to bad for a country? Of course not. But here's what it does mean. It means that in the midst of it all, God is still in control. He is still over all and he's working in all and he's working through all ultimately for his own glory and purposes. That's why in Daniel chapter three, when God gives Nebuchadnezzar the vision of the statue and he calls in for the interpretation, the Bible tells us that Daniel comes in and Daniel gives this interpretation of this incredible statue. And here's what he says. Basically, the summary of it is this. King, 
The four parts of that statue represent four different seasons and four different kingdoms and a whole bunch of kings are gonna rise and fall. In fact, over thousands of years were represented in one vision. But here's what Daniel declared. But in the end, king, there's gonna be one kingdom that's gonna come and it's gonna wipe out all the others. And there's gonna be one king that's gonna come and he's gonna establish a kingdom that will last forever. His kingdom will have no end. His kingdom, he will rule and reign forever. And I want you to know, king, that king is King Jesus. In other words, what Daniel was saying loud and clear was this, kings are gonna rise and fall. Officers are gonna be elected and they're gonna be unelected. But here's the truth. The truth of the matter is it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because God's plan and purposes will stand because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Someone recently was sitting with me at a sporting event and they were sharing with me the frustrations and the, the anger and the various things they were experiencing because of the recent political climate in our country. And I began to talk about the reality that God is still in control, that Jesus is still on the throne. But every time I would speak a truth of God's word, they would say, yeah, but. Yeah, yeah I hear you, pastor, but. Yeah, but this situation. Yeah, but that. Yeah, but this. And ultimately, by God's grace, by the end of the conversation, they were beginning to realize by their own descriptions and yeah, buts, that their faith somehow along the way had become focused on a specific candidate and a specific party and a specific agenda of the world and not in the living God of heaven. Can I just tell you today, there's only one faith that will stand and it's a faith that's anchored in Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Does it matter who's the president? Uh, to some extent, but what really matters is this, who's the Lord? Who's the Lord of your heart and life? Please, I want you to know, our king is not in DC or in Richmond, he's in heaven and he's preparing a place for all who believe. That's my king. And then when Jesus is your king, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Am I burdened by it? Yes. Am I grieved by certain things? Yes. Am I praying for God to work and move and bring revival to America? Absolutely. But please understand, I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. When God isn't permitted to rule, he overrules and accomplishes his divine purpose for his glory. So we don't have to be overwhelmed. We don't have to be discouraged or defeated, angry or bitter, we can walk in faith in the living God, recognizing he's providentially working all things together for his glory. I love the illustration told many years ago, true story with Martin Luther. Many of you know the, the great reformer, Martin Luther, and you, you know about his 95 theses that he put on the, on the door. And, and, and the fact of the matter is Martin Luther was a great man of faith, yet he struggled greatly with discouragement and at times even very dark depression. Martin Luther was in a season of depression and there were some friends who came alongside of him and they supported him to be able to go on a trip to, to kind of get away, disconnect from the pressures that he was under at that moment in hopes that he would come out of this depression. He came back home and then he came back home, frankly, he not only had not come out of it, he was in a deeper, darker place than he was when he'd previously left. On a recent errand to go visit someone, his wife came up with an idea. She, she clothed herself completely in black. She clothed the kids completely in black. And so when Martin Luther came back in the door of their house, he saw his entire family dressed in black. And he asked the obvious question. Tell me who has died? And Martin Luther's wife, in the wisdom of a God-fearing wife, said this. Have you not heard? God has died. God has died. And the conviction within him welled up and he said, what? That's, that's, no, no, that's not true. God is alive and God is the throne. We worship him and we serve him. And then she looked at him and said, I know that God has not died, but you need to quit living like it. Drop the mic, you know, like score one for the wife, right? I mean, that's incredible. You know what she's saying? The living God of heaven is still on the throne. He's not abandoned his throne. He's not abandoned his title. He's not abandoned his plan. He's still working all things together for his glory. And if you read the end of his book, guess what, child of God? By his grace and for his glory, we win. So let's be faithful to trust in him and live by faith. So three things. So, so trusting and recognizing the providence of God means that we trust in three things. Number one, we trust simply that God is in control. 
We trust that God is in control. Isaiah 14, 24 says it this way. The Lord of hosts has sworn saying, surely just as I have intended, so it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. <laughs> Our plans change all the time, right? I mean, if we learn anything this year, we've learned a lot of things. But one of the things we've learned is you make plans and they're gonna be changed, right? One of the challenges in ministry this year has been We've got a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, but by the time we get to the event, we're like a plan, you know, I don't know, T or something, I don't know. Plans change all the time. What God has planned stands, period. Final end of the story. God's dropped the mic moment. What I said I'll do, I'll do, bam. That's it. His plan stands. And that's why the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, when his word goes forth, it will accomplish and it will perform exactly what he set it for it to do. His plans aren't changing. God's in control. Secondly, God is working. You may not see it. You may not feel it. Oh, I just don't have the warm and fuzzies. You may not understand it, but God is working. Romans eight twenty eight says it this way. And we know that God causes all things. Somebody say all things. God causes all things to work together for the good to them who love him and are called according to his purposes. Does that mean that all things are good? No. You're gonna face some hardships. Jesus told us that. Jesus, Jesus the very son of God, did he face hardships? Uh, yeah, he was crucified. We're gonna face some hardships. We're gonna face some uncertainties. We're gonna face some trials. We're gonna face some times where we are misunderstood and where we misunderstand. We're going to face those things. But the Bible tells us that God works all these things together for the good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose. The question is, do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus above all? Do you love Jesus above your preferences, your, your party? Love Jesus even above your spouse. Do you love the Lord? God works all things together for the good of them who love him and are called according to his purpose. When we love God, we can be confident that even in the trials of life, he is working to make us more like Jesus so that the world might have a clearer picture of who he is. And third, not only do we trust that God's in control and that God is working, we trust that God is fulfilling his purposes. Please understand at every turn in the book of Daniel, it seemed like evil had won. At every turn in the book of Daniel, it seemed like the bad guys had won, that evil had won, that God had abandoned his throne. Like, where is God working in the midst of it? But in every situation, God intervened, God worked, and God got the glory. In every situation. Daniel chapter two. Daniel's life is threatened. If you don't tell me the dream, tell me the interpretation of it, then I'm gonna have you killed. But what does God do? God intervenes. God shows up, God does the impossible, he gives the dream, gives the interpretation, and then the end, what happened? In the end, what happened is simply this. The Bible tells that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were all raised to higher positions of authority. Daniel chapter three, you cannot, you, you, you've gotta bow down to the golden image, you gotta bow down when you hear the music, if not, I'm gonna throw you into the fiery furnace. They refuse to bow because they're worshiping the God of heaven. And what does the king do? Oh, heat up that furnace. Get it, get it even hotter. He throws them into the fiery furnace. They think the evil has won. We're gonna get rid of these guys that will not bow to the king's idol. They're only worshiping the God of heaven. But what does God do? God shows up, God intervenes, he rescues them. And once again, he promotes them to higher position. Daniel chapter four, Daniel chapter five, we see these heavy messages on Daniel and yet he delivers them with confidence. And what does God do? God delivers him and God again, raises him up. Daniel chapter six, here he is in the lion's den. If you, if you pray to anybody else, you're gonna be facing the lion's den. You're gonna be dying, destroyed. He's thrown to the lion's den and evil laughs thinking that he is conquered. But God sends his angel right in the midst of the lion's den, shuts the mouths of the lions. Daniel's brought out. And once again, Daniel is in a position of promotion. Why? Because in each of these situations, the living God of heaven was working and intervening to fulfill his purposes. So pastor, ultimately, what are you saying? Here's what I'm getting to. There are a vast array of situations in our life that would surely lead to our ruin if it, not were, if it were not for that little phrase, but God. The end is certain, 
but God. The situation's impossible, but God. Maybe you're here today and you're looking at literally a relationship like God can do the impossible. There may be someone in your life who's so filled with pride and seems like such a lost cause, they keep going their own direction, but I'm here to tell you, but God can intervene and transform that person. Pastor, I look at the craziness in our culture and our world today, and it seems like so many people are turning away from God, but God can intervene and bring revival to this nation and others. In fact, I would just ask you, where would you, you be today if it weren't for a but God moment in your life. When I think about how angry I was and bitter towards God I was, I can tell you the thought of where I would be is not very good. But God intervened. Some of us here today, we'd be completely dead. I mean, literally dead, but God intervened. And why should that even surprise us? The greatest evil that the world could ever conspire and ever conceive, the greatest evil that could be thrown against one person was literally committed when Jesus was taken illegally and given a heinous trial and literally Judas betrayed him with 30 pieces of silver. He was brought before the Jews and given the option to release a prisoner. And then the Bible tells us literally they looked and they cried, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate even asked, why? What evil has he done? And they're just so filled with hatred, crucify him. They take Jesus, they pluck his beard, they strip him of his garments, they put on him a crown of thorns, they literally take him to that cross and here is Jesus like suffering the worst things imaginable and he cries out, it is finished. And Satan laughed his head off. Evil has won, it is over, it is hopeless. <laughs> but God. Romans five verse eight. The very height at man's evil that the world could bring against Jesus was merely a means for our omnipotent God to be the very thing that would bring salvation to the world. Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, he cried, it is finished. He died, he was put into a tomb. Three days later, he rose again from the grave. Why did he do all of this? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter two, verses nine through 10. I love these verses. It says this, but we do see him, Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The world meant it for evil, but Jesus was doing this for us. He tasted death for you, for me, for all of us who have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things. Listen to this, what was he doing? In bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. In other words, the enemy thought that he had Christ bound and destroyed, but God the Father worked through this all-sufficient sacrifice to bring salvation to the ends of the earth so all can believe and be saved. In summary, man's kingdoms can come and go, but God's kingdom and his purposes will stand for all eternity. Brings me to the third point. How do I stand up for the Lord in the midst of a fallen world? You've got to remember the purpose of God. You need to recognize the providence of God. God is in control. He's working to fulfill his purposes. And finally, rejoice in our partnership with God. Rejoice in our partnership with God. In other words, it's all God's story and it's for his glory. In our life, God is allowing us the incredible opportunity to partner with him in his work and his mission in the world today. The fact of the matter is today, as greatly as God used Daniel in the book of Daniel, that pales in comparison to what God could do through us if we would just dare to be as faithful as Daniel was. When you look at the number of the people in the world today 
You look at all the vehicles that we have to communicate to people throughout the world today. What God can do is absolutely immeasurable and extraordinary if we would merely dare to be faithful and recognize our calling to partner with him in his work. Throughout the book of Daniel, we see Daniel and his friends, they clearly understood this. Yeah, they were few in number. Yeah, it it seems like they were the minority there in the kingdom. But they knew that God was with them. And they knew that God was faithful. And so they chose to faithfully honor God and live for him. Not one time in the book do we see them whining, complaining, criticizing others, condemning. Not one time do we see them lashing out even to government officials. Not one time. Instead, we see them courageously standing in their faith and confident of God's presence and working in them. Please understand that God's providential control doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. Instead, the sovereignty of God should give us the freedom and the confidence that we need to courageously stand for him and join him in his work. So how do we do that? I believe that Daniel and his friends partner with the Lord in three specific ways, and I would challenge us to do the same. How do we partner with God? Number one, we partner through practical actions of obedience. We partner with God through practical actions of obedience. Many claim to love God, but the greatest evidence is not in our profession, but frankly, in our faithful acts of obedience to God. That's why in Daniel chapter one, they couldn't eat the king's meat or drink the king's wine. That's why in Daniel chapter three, they couldn't bow down to this golden idol. That's why in Daniel chapter six, Daniel couldn't stop praying to the living God of heaven. Why? Because he was simply living out faithful actions of obedience. Do you want your life to count for eternity? Do you want to partner in God's work here in the world? Here's how you do that. You get to know his word and you walk in faithful obedience to him. Many times we want to try to summarize and think that God is impressed with some grand gesture of devotion, but God is looking for faithful obedience in everyday life. Here's how Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. In other words, It's not about what you look like in public worship. It's about what you look like in private as you're living faithfully in obedience to God. Jesus said it this way in John 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. In other words, he's simply saying this. How do you partner with God? By faithful actions of obedience to him. Secondly, We not only partner with God through faithful actions of obedience, we partner specifically through prayer. We partner through prayer. One of the overarching things from Daniel's life is he was a person of prayer. Why? Because he was desperate? No. Why was he a person of prayer? Because he faced all these hardships? No. Was he a person of prayer every time crisis came? No. He was a person of prayer because he understood that the living God of heaven hears our prayers. And the living God of heaven has all power and all authority. There's nothing he can't do. And so Daniel, in devotion to God, in faith for God, and frankly, just in relationship with God, he got alone with God to pray, believing that God could do the impossible. A.W. Tozer says it this way, an invitation to prayer is an invitation to omnipotence, for prayer engages the omnipotent God and brings him into our human affairs. Daniel chapter six, what does the Bible tell us? As soon as the king signed that edict that he couldn't pray to his God, what did he do? He kept doing what he'd always done. He went to his house, he opened the windows of his house towards Jerusalem, and there he prayed three times a day as he had previously been doing. He's just praying, he's just talking to God. He's looking to God to work and move and do the impossible. I love that statement that he was opening the windows towards Jerusalem. Why is that? That seems so weird, doesn't it? Why did the Bible go to that detail to tell us that? I think the reason why is because by the time you get to Daniel chapter nine, we learn that Daniel and his friends had a copy of the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And then when you study the book of Jeremiah, it becomes loud and clear that the Jews are not gonna be in Babylon forever. 
In fact, it would be Jeremiah that would tell us that their captivity in Babylon would only be 70 years. And because Daniel and his friends believed God's word, they relied upon God's word, they trusted that God would fulfill his promises, it affected the way they lived and it affected the way that they prayed. Prayed toward Jerusalem because he was looking in faith. This place ain't my home. God's gonna take me where I belong soon. Can I remind us today, when we recognize this world's not our home and that the God of heaven is God over it all, it will affect the way that we pray. It will. Our prayers won't be a mealtime prayer or a bedtime prayer or a God help me prayer. They're gonna be an ongoing conversation with God where we believe him to do the absolute impossible. A believer who faithfully kneels in prayer has no problem standing in a fallen world because he knows that he stands in the strength of the Lord. Finally, we partner with God through pointing others to the Lord. We partner with God through pointing others to the Lord. The Bible tells us just this simple summary statement in verse 27 and verse 28. By the way, this same God who delivers and rescues delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And then the Bible just simply says, this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In other words, Daniel understood that God was with him and that the reason for his success was because of the living God of heaven working on his behalf. Daniel faithfully pointed others to the Lord through his words, by giving God all the glory and all the praise. Not one time in this book do you see him taking credit, but also through his actions. Because Daniel knew who he was living for. Because he was focused on who he was living for. It didn't matter the pressure. It didn't matter the uncertainties. It didn't matter the questions. It didn't matter the compromise. It didn't matter the threats. It didn't matter how much of a minority he was in this moment. Because Daniel knew who he was living for and who was the king and the Lord over his own heart and life. He lived with confidence and he lived with conviction and he lived with courage. And the result of that is this. Every single time he stood for God, we see God revealing himself in some way to the king. And ultimately, it led all the way to Daniel chapter six, where the word goes out to the entire ancient world, there is no God like the God of Daniel. Commentator Warren Wearsby probably sums up the entire passage better than I ever could. So let me just read it to you like this. Warren Wearsby says it this way. Our response ought to be one of joyful confidence, Knowing that the Lord has everything under control, alleviate suffering and make this a safer and happier world. Our hope is not in laws, political alliances, or even moral crusades. Our hope is in the Lord. People's hearts need to be changed by the grace of God. And that means God's people must be witnesses to the ends of the earth. The only kingdom that will stand forever is Christ's kingdom. And the only people who will be citizens of that kingdom are those who have trusted him and been born again by the spirit of God. You know why Daniel could live so faithfully, so humbly, and so consistently, regardless of who the king was, regardless of the political structure, regardless of this kingdom or that kingdom, this law, or that law. You know why he could walk in such consistency? Because his life was not governed by who occupied a seat in the palace. His life was governed by the fact that God was the Lord and the ruler of his life. Can I just say to us today, there are many kings, many rulers, many powerful leaders that have risen and have fallen and they'll continue to rise and fall until Jesus comes back. Here's the wonderful truth. It doesn't matter about all those things. There's only one King of Kings and one Lord of Lords and his name is Jesus Christ. My question for you is really two questions today. The first question is this. Is Jesus Christ truly the Lord of your life? 
And I mean the Lord, I mean like he's the ruler in your life. You are living your life for him and not for yourself. You've accepted the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again from the grave and you have surrendered completely to him. It's not about your rights, your preferences or your wants. It's about King Jesus and his rule in your life. Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? That's the first question. If he's not, he can be by simply believing in him and calling upon him to be your Lord and Savior, surrendering your life completely to him. Secondly, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then here's the question. How are you today partnering with him and his work in the world? His providence doesn't mean that we sit back and just wait for him to come again. His providence doesn't mean that we, we, that we just come together on Sundays and we get excited and we clap and we sing and no. His providence is a reminder that he's at work and his working is inviting us to join him on mission of seeing people saved, lives changed, being his hands and feet to the world around us. Is Jesus your Lord? And what is he calling you to do today in partnership with him? Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you, God, that as a believer, we, we don't have to be discouraged. We don't even have to be dis distressed. We, we don't have to be fearful of tomorrow. And while it's legitimate that maybe we have burdens or concerns, and ultimately, God, our hope is in you. And so for that reason, I don't, we don't have to lose hope. We don't have to lose joy. We don't have to lose peace because you are still in control. Jesus, I thank you. Personally, I thank you that you're my Lord. <laughs> the thought of where I'd be without you, it, it, it's, it's crazy. I know I would be hopelessly lost, if not already dead. But you've intervened in my life. God, I, I do thank you for how deeply you love people that you would even allow Daniel and his friends, these righteous, godly men, to go through circumstances, but ultimately for the purpose of through them, you would provide a vehicle to take the truth of who you are to the ends of the earth. So God, we, we sing that song, if, if more of you means less of me, then take everything. God, I pray we'll mean that. God, that, God, that's not about my life or my comforts. It's not about the things that I want or even the things that make me feel good. It's about your glory in your name. And so God, I, I, don't know how any, I don't know how you want anybody else to respond here today, but Lord, I want you to hear from me whatever it would take in and through my life that would bring you the most glory. God, here I am. Whatever it would take to bring you the most glory, that people would hear the truth, that the, the reality of salvation through Christ alone, whatever would bring, God, whatever that would be, here I am. Father, I pray for all of us that we are surrendered to Jesus as Lord in our life. And God, if there's anyone here today that's uncertain about that, I pray that today, right now in this moment, that they would confess their sins and turn from them. And they would call upon Jesus to be their savior right now. And Father, for all who are having that assurance already of their salvation, I pray, God, that you would give them absolute crystal clear direction for how you'd have them to partner with you in your work in the world. You are working and you're inviting us to be a part of it. So God, I pray that you would show them where and how and that today they would surrender and be obedient to you. I pray in Jesus' name.